Well, you might notice that this morning we've changed things up a little bit, and it's because we're going to be doing a series called 30 for 30. And, and what that involves is we're going to be teaching and, uh, and worshiping about 30 minutes each. And so we've had 15, 20 minutes of worship. We've got another 15, 10, 15 minutes of worship waiting for us at the end of the message. But we thought what we'd do is that we would take some time now, kind of in the middle of this, and stop and say, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And, and uh, the, one of the reasons is because last week I looked around, about 25% of the people from the, from the back row, I'm standing up on the little camera stand, about 25% of the people I can tell from behind are actively engaged in worship. I can see their bodies are engaged with their souls and their spirits, and there's an expression that's coming out. There's no way to hide it. About 50% of the people, or I'm going to give just kind of the benefit of the doubt, like I, you know, you saw the occasional sway from the back, or, or you know, maybe as I looked at the side, I could see the lips from where they were singing the songs and so forth. And about 25% of the people were, were politely disengaged. It's kind of not your thing. You, you respectfully endure it for the sake of the fellowship and uh, so we're going to be talking about how do, we, how do we move that ball forward for a variety of reasons. Now, I'll say from the very beginning, the goal of this teaching is not to get, you know, 50%, 58%, and 93%. I'm not trying to increase some sort of percentage, but I, I do believe this. I believe that we're, we create with our worship a, a landing pad for the Holy Spirit. I, I do believe that this landing strip for God and what he wants to do um, in our lives during times of corporate worship brings some pretty incredible stuff. Psalms chapter 22 and verse 3 says, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Does this make sense? So in other words, when we are engaged in loving God in a worshipful, praise-filled, enjoined fellowship, covenant way, God, God is not wandering through. He's enthroned. Now, what does that mean? When a king sits on his throne, it's for a reason. The throne stands for the authority of the kingdom. And when he comes and he's on his throne, he's making judgments. He's, he's releasing. He's freeing. He's condemning. He's judging. He's, he's acting as king when he's on the throne. And so what's happening is this. When we create an atmosphere of worship where all of us, it, it, with the best of our ability, it won't look the same. I don't want homogeny, but we need expression. So I'm going to say, now everybody do this. Now everybody do this. Now everybody, why? It, it doesn't make sense for us to choreograph worship, but it does make sense for us to encourage because I think we need to understand God wants to do stuff in people's lives. And there are certain things God needs to do as king, not, not just as friend, not even as father, but as one who has authority in the kingdom. There are people that, that come into this room every week with serious, debilitating needs, anxiety, depression, uh, ongoing pain in their bodies, their souls, their spirits. We need to create with our worship. We, we need to facilitate, if we can, an atmosphere where God's kingdom comes to earth and that stuff goes away. Come on, say amen. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here to be enjoyed. We're here to do warfare on behalf of the king. That's why we're saying your kingdom come. Let heaven come. What are we saying? Well, there's nobody depressed in heaven. Nobody has attacks in heaven. We want the presence and substance of heaven to come to earth and set captives free. And so when we talk about worship, it, it isn't that, hey, if all of us don't sing the same song at the same time, God won't show up. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this. There are atmospheres where God is invited enjoyed and enjoined, where the kingdom comes to earth, and corporate worship, the music of corporate worship, is the vehicle that brings us all to one place at one time shooting for one thing. Does this make sense? You guys still here? So I believe there are things that God wants to do for us, wants to do in us and through us that will come when we step closer to him together in worship. And so each week during this series, we're going to go after some things that I think from my perspective and, and my, my limited experience of 30 years of watching people enjoying God, and I'm, I'm no eternal being, but, but I think I've seen a, a typical pattern, and we're going to go after some things that keep people 
from the presence of God in corporate worship. And don't get mad at the next word. How many of you guys promised me? Jim, I promise not to be mad at the next word that comes up on the screen. Raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, then you have the right to be mad. But raise your hand. I won't go to the next one. Okay, here we go. It's, it's just simply ignorance. Now, I know that's big red ignorance. You're so ignorant. That's not what it means. Ignorance is just I didn't know that. When, when we think about repentance, when Jesus and John the Baptist, the apostles, really anybody who begins the message of the kingdom says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, what they're saying is you're seeing life in a way that isn't truly true. It's not really real. There's a greater reality. There's a, there's a greater truth than what you, you hold as true and real right now. And so I want you to turn from, you know, I, I got to do this and not do that to a merciful God who sent his son to die and by faith we're saved. It's by grace we're saved through faith, not by works so nobody can boast. That's, that's a changing of your perspective. I thought it was by obeying the laws of Moses that good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And so what does God say is good? I've got to strive for that. And if somehow I tip the scale as being good and if I get to spend eternity in heaven. Um, none of that is true. What is true is this. There's a God in heaven who loves you, sent his son to die for you. And now if you are willing to receive a gift of the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of his son, life, death, and resurrection, and repent, in other words, go from I gotta be a good person to he's good enough for the both of us and I can trust him, then you will be saved. Does this make sense? And the same thing is true here. <coughs> Ignorance of what worship really is, is tough. So let me say this. Everybody was created to be a worshiper, and everybody worships. Now, now please don't mistake style or, or outward actions with what I mean. Everybody worships. Say it with me. Come on. Every, everybody worships. And you say, well, I'm not a worshiper. I'm an agnostic. I, I'm an atheist. I'm, I would never. That's, that's Hebrew superstition. Okay, blah, blah, blah. You're worshiping your knowledge above the knowledge of Christ. You're still worshiping. And, and so we talk about worship. Listen, the most self-centered, the most atheistic, the most agnostic, when I lived my life into adulthood as an atheist, I did so by worshiping knowledge that I thought was higher than the knowledge of God. I, I, my actions echoed that. My words echoed that. I was loyal to what I believed to be true, and I don't think God was mad at me for being sincere in my beliefs. I just know that my beliefs couldn't save me. And when I met Jesus, I made the course correction from one thing to the other, <clears throat> from this person to that person, and everything changed for me. Everybody worships. So I'm going to show you what I mean in a minute about everybody worships. Got a great illustration given to me last Sunday. How many of you guys know God is right on time? Awesome illustration, right? So the first thing, let's just talk about what does worship look like? So here's some expressions that are Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic words that describe worship. Number one, we've got in the Old Testament, worship is to bow down to. It's to kiss the hand of or to lick the hand like a dog. Um, when Jesus and Satan are in the wilderness and Satan's tempting Jesus to get him to sin, he says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. What he literally said was, if you'll get on your knees and lick my hand, I'll give you the world. How many of you guys know that just the devil deserves what he's going to get someday? Man, say that to Jesus. What a, what a butt. Anyway, it means to glorify. It means to shout. It means to lift up your hands right? It means to clap. It means to dance. It means to sing to. It means to give full attention to as something of supreme value. Now, there's a lot of things out there that would have us behave this way, right? Now, I'm not saying and those things are all evil. Never again ride on a roller coaster because if you lift your hands, you're going to hell. 
But I am saying this, there are certain things that, that create behaviors, and in and, and all of our lives, in all the lives of everybody, there's something that makes us shout. There's something that makes us go, woo! There's something that makes us clap. There's something that makes us sing, dance, bow. There's something that we give ourselves to in worship. And so one of the things that really came to mind last Sunday was sports. And, and we're going to show you a video, but, but as you're enjoying the video, Look for the spiritual language, the worship language, and the behaviors we've just described as worship, and ask yourself, are these people worshiping? All the Minnesota fans said amen. And after that wild finish at the Viking Saints playoff game, we've been talking about it this morning, a 61-yard touchdown with time running out on the clock in their home stadium. It puts the Vikings just one win away from the Super Bowl, and ABC's Diane Macedo is here with all the highlights. What a game. I'm even, speechless. Even if you're not a football fan, this game was awesome. First, the Vikings were ahead. Then the Saints were ahead. Then the Vikings are ahead by two. Then the Saints are ahead by one. And then this happens. Steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! With no time left on the clock and about to lose by one point, the Minnesota Vikings fire off one last pass. Pass is caught! Stephon Diggs makes the amazing catch capping off a nail-biting fourth quarter for one of the most stunning last-second comebacks in football history. Minnesota erupts in celebration with Diggs mugging for the camera and the QB <laughs> even leading fans in the Vikings fight chant. This morning, the Vikings faithful all across the country are shocked and overjoyed, calling it the Minneapolis miracle on Twitter. I still don't know what just happened. I just try to take, take advantage of my opportunities. <laughs> He's a little bit excited over there. Now, to add to the excitement, Minneapolis is hosting this year's Super Bowl, which is long thought to curse the home team. So if they can beat Philly on Sunday night, they will be the first team to ever play the Super Bowl in their home stadium. It has never happened and before. And they've never won the Super Bowl. The Vikings, you know that, that last play I was reading in the Times this morning, um, they had ran it in practice. It was called Seven Heaven, and Stephon Diggs had <laughs> never made that catch in practice, but he made it. When it mattered most. And he took a little bit of a risk to run it all, run it all out. I thought all he was the teams were saying get out of bounds. Get out of bounds to kick the game-winning field goal. But they are what calling it a miracle for multiple reasons. Breaking possibly this whole Super Bowl hosting team curse. But also, the team itself has had this rumor of being cursed because they've never mm -hmm. won a football and had four terrible defeats back in the 70s. So this could be the year the team have, is certainly hoping. We have to say our hearts do go out. I know Robin Roberts is a huge Saints fan. And some of the Saints personnel had already gone into the locker room because they thought the game was over before that play so never over but can't leave the, the stands it's a miracle the curse is broken the savior is mugging for the cameras the play is called seventh heaven the crowd goes wild and and, and and please i'm not i'm not saying football is evil i'm saying ohio state football is evil But I, <laughs> look, you're worshiping. It's just weird. It's just weird. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. It's just, I, what I'm saying is that when, you, when you're engaged and something has your full attention and something wonderful happens, we use language like miracles. The curse is broken. Seventh heaven. Yay. Leading us in the cheer, right? But let me tell you something. If I stood up on the stage <laughs> a few minutes from now and said, everybody, put your hands together. 
You guys are like, well, I just think that's irreverent, brother. I don't know. Like, church is really supposed to be a place for solemnity. And right? what I'm just trying to say is this. Again, it's not sports or evil. Um, it, it's that, can you see how we're just prone to worship? So it's not just sports, right? But there are things like money, identity, security, and love, you know? I mean, money and Jesus make a lot of the same promises, so people sometimes have kind of gotten off of worshiping one or worshiping the other. Matter of fact, Jesus says this. He goes, no one can serve two masters. And the word master means the one who has, who has your full attention, your full devotion, your full loyalty, the one who has power of life and death over you. You, you can't serve God money that way. It, if you worship one, you will find yourself always at odds with the other. And if you worship the other, you'll always find yourself some way at odds with the one. And again, is money evil? No more evil than football. It, it's a game. It's a piece of paper with a dead president's face on it. Let's not give it more power than it ever deserved. But what happens is when we put it in a position of, oh, Benjamin, I serve Benjamin, right? Well, then all of a sudden, your, your life can go the way your eyes go, and you find yourself in a place that you never wanted to be because you worship the wrong God, right? How about yourself? I knew it'd be quiet. It's just fun to kind of do this. So you could, it's like, oh, well, I don't have any money, so that one didn't hurt me at all, but this one's getting to me, you know? You know, my time, my heart, my will, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in a mansion, you know? When we have something better to give God and we withhold it because we prefer ourselves over God's will, you guys understand what we're doing is we're worshiping something. Let me tell you, the biggest idol I got to tear down, it's not made out of stone, it's made out of flesh. Right? The biggest thing that stands between God and I is not God. It's not he's so holy I can't get there. It's that I, there's things in my life that, that I, I sometimes have a difficult time surrendering. Anybody just going to leave me up here alone, you're going to amen that. All right, good. Because I, I, could, I could start pointing things out. I'm just saying, you know. This actually happened uh, one time that really came to mind, Malachi, or if you're a Happy Days fan, the Malachi, uh, the book of Malachi. The uh, chapter, uh, what would it be, verse, chapter 1, verse 8 where they had better offerings to give to God. And kind of the vow they take is, the firstborn of my flock I will bring as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Well, then the firstborn was beautiful, and the secondborn was this cross-eyed, pigeon-toed-looking, glowing red nose that led Santa's slave freak. And so they're like, well, I'm just going to kind of switch the, the good one for the bad one and make the bad one the offering. So this is what God says. When you offer blind animals <laughs> for sacrifice, you know, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to somebody around you that has authority. Try having to a human being, a governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? So, governor, governor Engler, come to my house. Here, I, I set before you an offering of food. And here's this, like, like bow-legged, pigeon-toed, cross-eyed, tongue-hanging-out with a big tumor on its side piece of meat. I saw this and thought of you. <laughs> and God's like, wait a minute, if you've got something better to give... I think you should give what you vowed to give, which is something better. I've told you not to offer diseased and crippled and blind and lame animals on my altar. It's a sacrifice that costs you something. You're not giving me your leftovers. I've asked you to give me what's right, and what you're giving me is what's left. And, and I, 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 don't, I don't want that. So in the same principle, there's, there's, there's a worship of self that's very convenient. It makes a lot of sense. This God is merciful, and we live by grace. Let's just kind of... But let me tell you something, guys. How many of you guys, if there's a better way to live, you want the better way to live? So that's what we're talking about today. What about the world, you know? I mean, the world really does demand worship. Uh, I, I, I talk about this from time to time, but it really stands out. We were at a, a Holiday Inn in Grand Blanc eating lunch. They used to have this all-you-can-eat buffet back when I used to have a metabolism. And, 
And we would go and eat all this smoked salmon and all that kind of stuff. It was really good. But in our booth, there was a, a picture of the winner of the Miss America contest, like from the 40s maybe, uh, maybe in the 30s through modern day. And if you'd have seen it just like, like time lapse, it was all side by side. You seen it, you would have watched women who literally were too heavy to be spokesmodels for Jenny Craig. They were the epitome of beauty in 1930. If you'd have watched their shoulders and their, their hips, lips, and fingertips, it goes... And you got, you got like Twiggy in the 70s. Like, like, I can't tell if I'm looking at the woman standing behind the microphone stand or if the microphone stands the woman. Like, it looks... Right? And what happened was the world said beauty is this. How many of you guys know the world's always going to think skinny is more pretty than, than not skinny because it costs more money to lose weight than to gain weight? <laughs> you know? And clothes that only fit a certain... What I'm saying is this. Never mind. I'm off on it. But I'm telling you this. If you worship what the world thinks, you'll always be going in circles and never arriving ever. Why? Because the world wants your money. They want your time. They want your allegiance. They, there's a multi-billion dollar, probably trillion dollar business that is called marketing that gets you to buy stuff you don't know you need yet or you really don't. Right? That's their job. So look at it this way. And, and again, Matthew chapter 13, verse 22 talks about a life that is diluted, choked out by loving the world. It says, a seed falling among the thorns refers to Someone who hears the word, in other words, the, the gospel, the truth, the ultimate has been given to them, but here comes the world, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of, of wealth and the stuff, it choked the word, and, it, and in the end, it doesn't mature to the place where it actually reproduces anything. You, you get everything you're supposed to get, but in the end, it's like you never got it because nothing happened when you got it because you, we spent too much time really trying to catch up to the Joneses and not the Pastor Joneses, but the other Joneses. You know what I mean? It's just we don't, we don't like them, but we have to be like them. So, I'm, again, I'm, am I saying football's evil? Only certain teams. Am I saying money's evil? Only when spent on buying sweatshirts that have certain teams' logos on them. Am I saying everything in the world is evil? No, guys, don't go to the lake. The lake is evil. It's pleasurable. I'm not, buy a house on the lake and tithe your time by inviting your pastor to live with you one of every ten days. So I'm not saying things are evil. I'm just, I'm just saying this. I think there's a better way to live than loving things that are less than God. I think there's a better way to live than worshiping, giving our allegiance, our attention, our utmost for something that's not his highest. I think we're supposed to cheer. I think we're supposed to laugh. I think we're supposed to cry. I think we're supposed to mug for the cameras, but it, it's not for the glory of man. It, it's reserved for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31 says this way, Paul's going to show people the most excellent, not in an excellent way, the most excellent way to live. He ends that. He begins chapter 13 by saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not, what? Love. Man, I, I'm an obnoxious noise. If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am. If I give all that I possess to the, to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain. Love is patient. Love is kind, most excellent way to live. Love is, love is gentle. It, it, it doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, keeps no record of wrongs, always hopes, trusts, believes. Love never fails. Love never fails. There's a power above every other power. There's a, there's a position we can take towards the Lord that is superior to every other position that we can have. And this is why it says that that's the most important thing. Then let's give it to the most important one. Oswald Chambers wrote a great devotional book that reads my mail every time I read it. It's freaky. I'm not sure how long that guy had to follow me around before he had every word just right at the right time. But literally, the stuff I'm going through, Oswald's like, yeah, I'm going to write the gym. And by the way, he died before I was born, so that's even freakier, right? But, but it, the name of that book is My Utmost for His Highest.
the greatest thing we can do, we do as a ministry to God. Let me say it again. The greatest ministry, your highest goal, your greatest blessing is your ministry to the living God. And maybe you didn't know that. Maybe, and I, is football evil, is money evil? I'm not saying that. I'm saying God gave you an all so that you can love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Paul says it this way in Romans, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer what? Your Sundays. Is that what it says? To offer your singing voice. Is that what it says? To offer a season, to offer your youth, to offer your old age, to offer your deathbeds. Know what it says? Offer your what? Come on, your... Remember, that, that shell that contains the eternal part of you. This is what we're to do. We're to take who we, If he's here and I'm here, I'm to take this and move it to where he is. Because in his presence, there is a fullness called joy. And in his presence, sorrow and mourning flee away. And in his presence, the arms of the Father wrap around his sons and daughters in a way that holds us, whether we have a perfect peace, even though we still don't understand. In his presence, demons flee. In his presence, darkness runs. In his presence, I am healed. In his presence, I am made whole, body, soul, and spirit. So why in the world would I give my utmost to something that's not his highest? It doesn't make any sense. Amen? Come on, say amen. Do this, will you? Stand to your feet. According to my clock, we have 15, 13 minutes and 48 seconds, which to a pastor rounding up is about 28 minutes. When we sang this song, um, let, let heaven come to earth, I, I, think, I think there's 25% of us that engaged that as the cry of their heart. Because when they sing it, what they're singing is their friend who's going through a terrible time needs deliverance. Not, not encouragement, deliverance. Does that make sense? God, let heaven come to my friend that's, that's dealing with terror, that's dealing with depression, that's dealing with cancer, that's dealing with mourning, that's dealing with life. And they're saying, let heaven come. And they have somebody's mind, somebody's face in their mind as they're singing it over them. Like, it's, like they're pressing into the promises of God, right? And I think there's 50% they are like, those words are from the Bible, and so I'm singing them, or I'm thinking about them, meditating on them. And there's 25% that are kind of going, huh, I wonder what Jim's talking about today. I wonder what's for lunch. I wonder if Mega's open. But what if we created with, with the Lord's Prayer set to song so we can all be in one place at one time? What if, we, what if we created a landing pad for the presence of God? And I want you to hear this last thing I have to say. For some, it's going to be too loud, and for some, it's going to be too soft. For some, it's going to be too King James, or for some, it's not going to be groovy enough. For some, it's like, I know this song. For some, it's like, I don't know any words of this song. The purpose of worship is not to make us happy unless we're worshiping ourselves. What I once thought was appropriate, dramatic volume if 52 is now bloody eardrum painful. But if Paul and Silas can be beaten half to death, put their feet in stocks and their arms in chains and in the middle of the night find a song of praise to God, then my comfort is not primary in the exercise. His glory is. Close your eyes all over this room. I want us to engage this. If this is not your thing, I get it. But I'd say this too. Swimming once wasn't your thing and you jumped in anyway and you learned. Come on, eating solid food once wasn't your thing. Sitting down on the toity once wasn't your thing. Learning how to walk was a process. 
But you learn. You can learn anything. You can press into anything. You can grow in any direction that you really choose to grow in. We're going to talk about next week religious preferences and things I was taught and, you know, self-confidence issues and my voice doesn't sound good. That's not for today, but today it's just this. If he's worthy, then he's worthy. And if he's not, then he's not. And he is worthy. <laughs> the greatest reason to worship God isn't to create a landing pad. It's because he's worthy. But a landing pad will be created because he will be enthroned upon the praises of his people. And today's not just a day of worship. It's a day of deliverance for those who have been held captive. Or it's not. It just depends whether or not heaven comes to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, shall we create a place for his glory? Shall we enthrone him on our praises? If we shall, then God will move. I believe it.